0: And you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the W Debate. Welcome to the W Debate.
1: All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, bro. You tweeted your running back night Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got
2: out of hand. <laughs> you jumped up and... That's Austin Mason, who is gonna be that guy. And for me, Bijan Robinson is still gonna be that guy. Back to the ground with
1: Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're gonna say he stepped out, but I'm,
3: I'm
1: feeling sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name. One, Zach F. Wilson. Sp- Screener draw. Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the insult. Wow. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown.
0: That's Matt Broody. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here.
1: And this time it's to field.
0: Don't carry watch
1: out. Justin Fields. Hello. Come on, but 51 yards.
2: Vernon, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Got to get my popcorn right, out here. Hold on.
0: Got to continue. Oh, no, guys, I got to Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated right higher. Well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about.
1: Our apologies for Curb Street, Atlanta. Time will get rescheduled soon. And from that Rooming in Austin, Nate, I'm Felix Clark. Good night, and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern, the only time zone that coordinates recruiting. That means it's time for the W debate, brought to you by campusdecant.com. Matt Bruning, Austin Nace, and Chris Moxley here, as usual, and I'm Felix Sharp. On a railroaded version of tonight's show, we talk the uh, the Under Armour All-American game. Is Michael Pratt an NFL quarterback? And we ask Noah Hills why he hates Jameer Gibbs with the passion of a thousand sons. But we start with this weekend of bowl games, which was um, definitively the best playoff that we've seen, gentlemen. And we had the Cotton Bowl between uh, the aforementioned Michael Pratt, Tulane, and USC. That was a great showdown. Uh, Austin, or Chris, let me start with you. (laughs) There are a lot of players that we could point to who do you think
4: stock is up after this exciting weekend? Can I, I'm just going to count it because it was the weekend for me. I thought LaQuint Allen, the Syracuse running back who came in for Sean Tucker, is like mega, mega stock up. Uh, 1594 rushing is fine. Like M- Minnesota has a crappy rush defense, whatever. Like That's efficient enough for me. I don't care. It's over six yards per carry. Eleven receptions, eleven. I uh, ha- I I'm hard pressed to find a running back that does that every season. Allen doing it in his first real start in replacement of Sean Tucker in their bowl game was really really impressive to me. And I think the offense might use him as such. I know they're I know they're losing Robert and I, um, which concerns me uh, obviously. But they had a new play caller for this game, and I think they might use him in that way. He looked good catching passes. So Quint Allen is someone that I am. I liked him coming into the year, but he way outpaced my expectations. Chris, the question
1: is going to be what we should do with that information and how he played in this game, replacing Sean Tucker there. Um, we need to have some sort of context for how to, y- whether or not he
4: should be rostered, how he should prior- prioritize. Oh, I see each priority. Oh, absolutely. I'm absolutely. Guessing- he needs to be rostered. He might be rostered in leagues already, depending on how much you, you liked him. Um, Austin's got him I have him in a couple spots too um, but he certainly should go in startups this year you need probably need to draft him before the I'm guessing the 20th round after this bowl performance okay. you probably need to take him top okay. 20 at least top 25 I mean a receiving back that's going to get 11 catches like it doesn't matter how high or like you specifically are on him it's probably going to happen based especially based on what we saw from Sean Tucker the last two years in terms of just like raw dominance uh in terms of controlling that offense
1: for for some of these guys who are players in college already uh last year Cameron Ward this year Devontez Walker i think that we need to have some sense for where they should be taken uh Cameron Ward was probably a first or second round draft pick um last year Devontez Walker i'm guessing will be taken somewhere in the between the second and fifth rounds. And it sounds like you're saying with a Quint Allen, take your, the guys that you know are NFL guys, take uh, your freshman and then consider him somewhere there at.
4: Yeah, I'd probably take him around like between round 15 and 20. I don't know if he's going to get that high though. Like I don't think he's going to get to like above round 15. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just like underrating the situation and like how people like him. Like I'm not sure he's NFL back. I just really like the situation. I think he's a good, I think he's just straight up a good player. Okay. don't know right. if he's an NFL player though. Um, I'm smiling a little bit because
1: Matt gets to take a rare victory lap uh, with one of his calls, a very rare victory lap. Uh, Matt, are you ready to, um, you know, dust some dirt off your shoulder and, uh, I mean, and, and, and I was, your boy, I, was, stock I, up. Who's stock I, up?
0: I wasn't going to take a, a necessarily a victory lap, just that I thought he looked good in, in the bowl game against Florida State, and that is one freshman running back, Gavin Sawchuk, for the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, he was a player that uh, I was told many a times by mostly our crew that he was going to not be anything, and I just thought he looked really good in that game. He only had not, – not everybody. I see Felix shaking his head. I don't necessarily think Felix was down on him. There were some some very loud voices in the room that were down on him that we do not name names here, but regardless, I I felt like he he looked really good against that Florida state team, which I I do feel was a much better team coming into this bowl game than Oklahoma was. He only had 15 carries, but in those 15 carries, three of them broke for 10 yards, four of them broke for 15 or sorry, four broke for 10 yards, three broke for 15 yards. He looked explosive, which is exactly what I thought he was going to be coming into college. He, handled himself well as well. He's a little bit undersized, which I think was kind of the main concern by a lot of people, but he showed pretty good contact balance and a couple of those hits didn't go down immediately. I think he's a player who's going to be very exciting to watch for Oklahoma moving forward. So he is a player that I thought his stock rose a little bit. Cause if, if I'm being honest, he was kind of buried here after the freshman season when, he didn't do much. He got beat out by Javante Barnes. I don't think that's unfair to say. He, he got beat out by Javante Barnes, uh, who got in there early, won that backup job. Then he got hurt, and we still never saw Gavin Sawchuk. So I think the fact that he went out there and played the way he did in that bowl game, I think, solidifies him behind Barnes going into next season, which is a a spot that I'm happy that he got to. Uh,
1: and he and Javante Barnes played in this game, and he and Gavin Sawch looked like a more explosive player. So you know, good on Oklahoma. Mark did you get
4: my opening? I got your opening, yes. Okay, all right. Uh Austin, give us your uh, I, I think the audience earlier. audience will too.
2: I uh I don't know, I'm scared. Um I think Squirrel White, Marquarius White had a nice game. I think he's a stock-up guy here. Which is a player that I said could have a big
1: game with the absences there.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think we wanted to see what he would look like without Jalen Hyatt there because he's the most obvious guy on the roster to be in Jalen Hyatt's role. So I think he kind of showed in this game that he can do that. He had nine catches, 108 yards, a touchdown. Like, literally, the same exact role that we just watched um, uh, 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 Jalen Hyatt win the freaking Blitnikoff. This guy's going to be sliding into it. We had him ranked pretty highly in our freshman guide this past year. We had him as a tier four wide receiver. Um, A couple of us really, really liked him. Uh, He was like wide receiver 78 in the composite. We had him over uh, a bunch of guys. Like we had him over Darius Clemens, Tyshawn Chapman. um, uh, uh, Let's see here. Uh, Jeremy Bernard, Samuel Mbake, uh, Dakota's Crawford, Nicholas Anderson, Jaden Gibson, all these guys that were top 50 receivers. We had him over all of them because we figured at worst he would play what we were calling at the time the Jalen robinson role in this offense uh and, and now it's turned into to jalen hyatt so i don't know he's 510 165 i actually i don't know that he's 510 i don't know that he's 165 so i'm not really calling this guy like really an nfl future besides you know maybe like a kick returner like the, the fourth or fifth like the ray ray mcleod on a roster essentially he was with was he with san francisco i forget who he's with now the chiefs
1: no, it's, uh, it's, it's the 49ers. It's it is? 40 okay. Minors, he, so he
2: was with the Steelers know. for a couple of years, so I, I've i watched him play a little bit. But He might have that kind of role in the NFL, nothing serious. but I You think can tell that we CFF, don't, he just
1: had like a super long touchdown. Last, yeah, last he did. Week he did, or, yeah.
2: So, yeah, I mean, you're not ever going to start him for fantasy, but I mean, he's going to be on an right. NFL roster. Sure. He's going to be doing stuff. Right. So I think that's what Marquarius White can be. I think he'll be a really good producer for the next couple of years. I mean, Joe Milton, we just watched him. He could probably, if he was standing 10 yards from me, he could throw a football clean through me. Like, I don't think he's going to have a problem getting the bottom of wide downfield. So I think it's a it's a, a nice match made in heaven uh, for next year for those guys.
1: No one picked anybody from the two playoff games or the Cotton Bowl, which were the most exciting games. We're talking about. They're all leaving school. Up. We're talking about stock up from this weekend's game. I'm surprised that no one said CJ Stroud, who showed a different style of play than what we've seen over two years. I mean, he was avoiding interior pressure on multiple occasions, stepping up the, into the pocket and then throwing the ball downfield, including one of those touchdown passes to uh, to Marvin Harrison Jr. I don't think anyone expected um, Ohio State to be able to carve up that defense the way they did. And C.J. Stroud carved up that defense. If If that is how he's going to play and we know what Ryan Day's offense can do to limit quarterbacks, his ceiling becomes very very interesting I think that he made himself some money this week playing in the game I actually think Bryce uh Bryce Young made himself some money both of those two in my opinion locked themselves into the top five-ish the top five-ish at the quarterback position Jameer Gibbs played I thought that he played well um I'm always like Conscious about these players playing in this bowl games because we've seen Jake Butt, we've seen Jalen Smith go out with devastating injuries in that last game of the season. Why? What? Austin?
2: Nick <laughs> Saban put Jameer Gibbs back to return a punt with like four minutes left in that game.
4: <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> that was, I was
1: like stupid. what? And he didn't return like, punts the entire year. No, but but Jameer Gibbs also has not played in a bowl game of that magnitude in in his uh, three year career to that point. But if I'm talking about stock up. I have to put C.J. Stroud up there because I think it's going to matter when it comes NFL draft season. And that's the last game that scouts saw against the best team in the country. And he carved them up and he carved them up and he was getting first downs with his legs, avoiding pressure, doing stuff off script. We have not seen that uh, the entire year. Matt, talk to your boy, Ryan Day, my very close personal friend who I uh, met at the Massillon, Ohio, Elite 11 event. You you probably you know, have gonna, better connections I'm with him than co- I do. You, I do you're, right, his hand, you're right. So, you you're, know, right you're right. right. The, you're the one
0: right. thing I will say is you are 100% right on Stroud because uh, it was like six days ago NFL scouts were 100% sure Will Levis was better than C.J. Stroud. Now reports are coming out that after his one game QB against one. Georgia, C.J. Stroud has probably locked himself into QB one in the NFL draft. We'll have to as have as a discussion as-
2: at some point if Levis not playing his bowl game and Stroud and Young <laughs> playing their bowl games and playing well. Yeah. Like we, yeah. I wonder if that actually we well, you know we'll factor in at some point. No, evaluation. it won't
4: because it doesn't matter how Will Levis plays in the field. That's the whole stick of the NFL. <laughs> they don't <laughs> they I mean- give it. Her- they don't care what Levis plays. So he could have four, four identities.
0: Because I assume you guys all saw the video of him just throwing against air with a bandana. That's like four over his four years
1: that, Yeah, that's the video from last year. That's oh, exactly. Everybody that thought last year. it just last happened. Oh, Everybody did. Did.
0: thought it just happened. Everybody was freaking out. But, oh, my God, the arm it, strength. It was, it was, it was the
1: season when he entered the transfer portal and went to Kentucky because that's the video that circulated where he was throwing all those passes, whatever. Um, all right. Uh, Austin, do you want to start us off with your stock down?
2: Do I have to? I don't want to admit defeat ever.
1: Go ahead, man.
2: I'm getting a little worried about Jadon Blue over here. <laughs> My guy <laughs> Blue over at Texas, who I, I love. I love. I know. Shut the, I'm not going to be skipped. <laughs> you get your chance. You get your chance, sir. Look, I thought that Blue was basically the Gibbs of his class. Like, if you play him in that role, I thought he would be extremely successful. A guy that you don't have to give the ball to between the tackles 20 times a game. If you give him 15 total touches between uh, uh, re- uh, receiving work and on the ground, that he would be in that class of prospect. Texas, I don't think, I guess they don't see it that way. He had barely touched the field at all this week. Keelan Robinson and uh, Jonathan Brooks. Now, granted, Jonathan Brooks didn't do anything. So, like, whatever. Um, this backfield, I think it's going to be ripe for Cedric Baxter to come in here, who's looked really good at whatever All-Star game he was at this weekend. Um, so, it's a little concerning that Keelan Robinson got all that run, and I think Keelan Robinson has eligibility left. He's been around for forever. I really liked him at Bama. Yeah, I think when he he was he's a freshman, um, and that was like forty-five years ago. So, yeah, but uh, I, I'm starting to get a little worried about Blue out of Texas. Just. Doesn't want to use him that way for some reason. I, I I don't really know.
1: We could see him enter the transfer portal. They got Cedric Baxter in there. You're high on Cedric Baxter. Maybe that's a, a good thing for him. The fact that you know Blue isn't being incorporated. Matt, you were going to say something.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, I i wouldn't panic too much on Blue yet. I mean, Sark and everybody have come out and said that they wanted to do nothing but pass against Washington. I believe Quinn had like 50 pass attempts against them because that's they knew that's how to attack that Washington defense. So if you're already saying you're going to go in there and pass 50 times, like I, I know you were saying Jadon Blue pr- probably should have gotten some pass work. Maybe he just really wasn't in the game plan leading up to that point. It was just kind of Keelan Robinson and Jonathan Brooks because they were using them to run the few times that they did. I would wait to see what happens in the spring before I worry about it, but it is definitely concerning that he didn't. See, I don't even think he saw a snap in that game.
2: A, a guy that didn't play at all his senior year of high school. So yeah. you really, I mean, I, nope. this this wasn't really happening before, so we didn't have to think about it. But now I think we're going to have to think about it. You know, does sitting that year, like like Quinn did, which we think there was some injury involved there, but Quinn didn't play as well as we thought yeah. he would this year with. With with blue not playing as well this year, I mean, I think it'll be something to at least you know clock mentally as we're looking at. I don't think we have that factoring into anybody this year, do we? No, not, nobody's not well, playing, them. not playing, yeah. not playing yeah, their senior
0: so, season. No, yeah. well, I mean, and, and blue did it. What he was technically coming off it was before it was after it? the COVID season, wasn't it? He just he decided opted out. He wasn't playing. Yeah, it was, yeah,
4: yeah. It was the COVID Cause, season because there were a he, lot
0: of. I mean, the last he didn't play early. Did he? Yeah, he no, he hasn't played at all. He, he played. He didn't.
4: He played zero of that season. Like he didn't play part of it. Like, yeah, he no, just said, "I'm not playing."
0: He said out because there were rumors going yeah. around that he, that the team and teammates were upset with him because like he chose yeah. to opt out for some other reason. And then that was kind of refuted by his coaching staff and other players. But I mean, Travion Henderson did it and he came out and looked fine. So I don't know if there was a reason for us to be super worried about it with Blue. I, I don't know. It, it is kind of a weird thing to look at, I guess. I, I honestly forgot about it, that. He brought it back up.
4: It can't be good for a player's development to miss their final year of high school, no matter like. Like how how could it possibly be a good thing? Like it happened to Tyler Buchner, which was injury slash COVID related. It happened to like it like happened DeMons to Quinn DeMons, Ewers. Right? Played
1: Quinn Ewers played six games his junior year, did not play a senior year, yeah. then redshirted at Ohio State. Uh, it is it, can't be a good thing. It, it, it cannot not be good. like in any way be thing. a good thing.
0: I mean, you you talk about Quint, like look at that whole class. I mean, I know he's reclassified yeah, in there.
4: Yeah. It's only Caleb but- yeah. Williams
0: is, yeah. and Drake May right. that have been successful. Not That's one true. other quarterback in that class has succeeded so far. May like, played yeah. his
4: entire senior year too. Which yeah, had, uh, I think
0: Caleb uh, did as Charlotte, well. If I'm remembering correctly. They were, the, they were some of the only ones. Like yeah. I think.
4: Hewer did Mike, too.
0: I know. Yeah. Hewer did. I know McCord, I think got in like six games, but like nobody outside of Caleb and Drake, nobody has really succeeded in that quarterback class.
1: Yes. Going back to Austin's point on this Texas backfield, Keelan Robinson had eight carries for 27 yards. Jonathan Brooks had six for 18. Um, none of them averaged more than four yards a carry. So there's still some light there. However, Jonathan Brooks was the third leading carrier for that team on the season. I keep saying that we need to pay attention to him as a potential player who could command a, a you know a, a big market share of those carries next year. And it's a Steve Sarkeesian running back. So take that
0: uh, for what you will. Um, all right, Matt, who's your stock down? I'm going to say Cade Klubnick, but this is also more because of Clemson's offense as well. And I I don't remember who it is that said this. I want to say it was you, Felix, but it may have come from Matt Waldman. Cade Klubnick looked great in between the 20s, right? He was able to move the ball, looked perfectly fine. But the minute he got down into the red zone, they stalled every single time. And I've heard it was either you or Matt Waldman say before, it doesn't really necessarily matter what they do then. Was it Austin that said it? Watch what those players do in the red zone, because that is when everything becomes constricted. And that's what you can really tell about a quarterback. And he struggled. He struggled mightily. And I don't know if that was all Cade. Some of that I do think is Clemson in that offense, but he is again, one that we talked about this last week. I know Austin and myself both had him as, as uh, some players to, to kind of trade now, He's still valued very highly because of what he did against UNC. I'm just – I think we're seeing more and more tape that maybe we were kind of right on what Cade really is, and he was a little bit overinflated coming into his freshman season. Uh,
1: I have made those comments in the context of t- talking specifically about Drake May and how he uses the uh, the pump fake to, to move people in the red zone, and it's something that Aaron Rodgers did. Aaron Rodgers had that long streak of never having thrown an interception in the, in the red zone just because he – Manipulate space well. So, um, and and uh, Austin, you called uh, uh, Cade clubnik a sell uh, think, on the last. I think
4: Matt and I both had him down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last show. So,
1: all right, Mox, who you got a stock
4: down? Not Cade Klubnik. I'm still on the clubnik train. Um, Mario Williams, the USC wide receiver, one time Oklahoma wide receiver, who cost them the game. Like, I don't know that there's a better way to, to say it. He fumbled at the one yard line on just a, honestly, a boneheaded play, but he also hadn't returned kicks at all this year. It was a bad situation. That's not why I have him as a, a stock down though. He didn't show out in the bowl game. Hasn't shown out all year outside of like the first three games against non-power five opponents, maybe he's one 100-yard game with Caleb Williams as his quarterback and Jordan Addison hobbled most of the season. Like, at what point do we just say Mario Williams is just a complimentary wide receiver in a college offense and not a guy that we can rely on? And so if you're taking him top five rounds of a C2C, I think that's probably bad value at this point.
1: I have been one of Mario Williams' biggest advocates since his freshman season. Chris, you are on my fight list
4: for this. I already sport. know. I already got the text. I already got the text. I've seen. I've seen it. Um, I want to look. I mean, up how Mario, are you but... not worried though? Like, what is your like? What is what is the reasoning to not be concerned about his performance? What did this Jalen year Hyatt at at do before this season? What did Jalen Hyatt do? Jalen, Jalen Hyatt doesn't isn't even a good wide receiver. He's just fast. Like that's the thing about Jalen Hyatt, though. Like he's not a good wide receiver. Sorry, I don't. I don't want to get off on a tangent, right. but like, right. I mean, Camario. What do you
2: think Mario Williams runs?
4: I think he's a sub four five uh, guy.
2: Probably. I think Jaylen it's a guy. guy. There's a big golf between like four four eight and four three one, which is what Hyatt. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the NFL will value that a little more. I would think. I don't know. Why has nobody
1: said Quinn Ewers? Now, I know that if you look at the box score, you know, he was, I don't know, 30 for some for something. I think he was 31 for 47. 300-something uh, yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. But there was a lot of Anthony Richardson-type offense in that game, a lot of throwing ball behind the line of scrimmage, a lot of checkdowns. Um, I'm just saying he has not been as dynamic as we've seen from some other highly rated recruits out the gate uh Bryce Young even DJ Uyunglele, his first season we forget about that uh was was you know playing really well Quinn Ewers has had this entire season to kind of improve and somewhere along the line like after that Alabama game he was not really the same player um so I think that Quinn Ewers should be considered there. I think his yards per attempt average was like six point seven or something like that. Just very game manager-y for Quinn Ewers. Uh, that is my stock down. Um, all right, there's another player who who stock I think uh, who played well in the bowl game. Let's bring in Noah Hills here. I want to see. Uh, I don't have. Do I have his stats in front of me? I was trying to bring him up all right so jameer gibbs 15 carries uh 76 yards he also had two just two catches for 66 yards um, Sounds good friend of the show noah hills at noah more parties on twitter this is a very this is not as professional as an introduction as i normally give but noah um you've you've tweeted some concerns about jameer gibbs profile from an analytical perspective can you kind yeah. of explain? Can you explain what your concerns are and why you are throwing ice water uh, on this on this prospect?
3: Yeah. So the tweet was Gibbs's seasonal numbers in a metric called relative success rate, which basically looks at given the down and distance situations that Gibbs is carrying the ball in, how consistent is he? at creating positive outcomes on his carries relative to his teammates and adjusted for the kinds of defensive fronts that he's running into. So, and starting in 2020, when he was a freshman, his the percentile ranks of his marks in that metric are the 67th percentiles of freshman, So pretty good. First year at Georgia tech, then his sophomore year in the 12th percentile last season at Alabama in the third percentile, and for his career in the 19th percentile relative to like running backs drafted in the last four or five years. So that's not very good. Uh, If he's not creating positive outcomes more often than his teammates are, like at Alabama, he's playing with a lot of talented guys. Maybe, okay, we can make some excuses. At Georgia Tech, he wasn't playing with that many. I mean, Jordan Mason's good, but regardless of who you're playing, like we made the same excuse with Isaiah Spiller, like Devon a chains really good. So these numbers don't matter. I don't know. Isaiah Spiller turned out to not be that good. And I don't, I don't think Jameer Gibbs is Isaiah Spiller, but he's also not like box adjusted efficiency rating. Isn't a consistency metric. It's like an average metric, kind of using the same adjustments and uh, Gibbs is performing better than his teammates there, but still for his career in the 19th percentile. So equally unimpressive as his like per carry consistency has been his per carry average. So it, it's difficult to look at that and kind of uh, reconcile that with like effusive praise from everybody in the scouting dynasty, Debbie communities about Jameer Gibbs. And I completely get it from a receiving standpoint, but people aren't just talking about him as an elite receiver. They're talking about him as an elite pure runner and the numbers just don't say that. But I also see, the positive things on film as well. Like, like when I was, watching- that's what
1: I was going to ask you. And and Noah, if you could tell people where they can find your film analysis on YouTube, I don't know if it's the same as your, um, your Twitter profile. We're talking to Noah Hills at Noah, more parties on Twitter. And you can, he is going to be doing uh, a, a running back website at some point, and you can sign up for information about that website on his pinned uh, tweet. At his profile, yeah.
3: Noah More Party. So Noah, where can we find but where can we find your YouTube work now? Um I think I think you could type Noah More Parties or Noah Hills on YouTube and get there. I also post pretty like pretty much every day on TikTok, just like short little film study clips. Um so I'm doing a lot of stuff over there. And and so you
1: you've talked about Gibbs from an analytical perspective. Does that match with what you're seeing on
3: film for him as a runner? Yeah, I I don't think so, but I think the way that I've approached watching film because I don't have much of a background in it and I need numbers to help ground my thoughts, is I've been like charting and tracking all sorts of different things when I watch. And Gibbs is really good. Like he's the most elusive back in the class of the guys that I've charted so far, just based on like times he's attempted to evade a defender and how often does that result in like a not, not a tackle. Um, He's the most successful at that. He has like the deepest bag or one of the few deepest bags as far as like repertoire of evasive moves he can go to. Um, But he's also probably the least powerful runner that I've charted so far based on uh, different types of contact and how often he breaks through that contact for either like extra yardage or uh, breaks through it completely from different. Like he's, he's the worst in the class that have charted on like body to body contact from the head or from the side from linebackers. He's one of the th- two or three worst against defensive linemen and defensive backs. And so while I think he's where I've been, a lot of my analysis on film has been centered around like decision-making. And I think he's, he's one of the best at that. And so it's, it's been a little bit difficult for me to wrap my head around like, well, then why are his numbers bad? But I think it, I think this, 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 the lack of power he has, I think is a decent explanation, especially I think on gap concepts where his like decision-making isn't as much of an advance Like it, it doesn't manifest as much uh, on like a power or a counter run and his, 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 his Worklet because in a, gap, in a gap a scheme, he
1: doesn't have a choice as to where he's going as opposed to zone where he can say, all right,
3: here's my cutback, my cutback lane. Right. And he runs pretty 50-50 split gap zone. And so that's like half the plays he's running where I think one of his best skills is just kind of neutralized. And then otherwise, he doesn't break tackles through the line of scrimmage or um, against linebackers very much at all relative to other guys, like other top end guys in this class. And so I've been impressed by his decision-making and his athletic abilities, but I think the lack of power might be kind of a key to why he's not as successful.
1: So do you think that that means he's going to be, he's going to have to be a a fit for a a specific team to reach his ceiling? Because in Lori Fitzpatrick at, touchdown wire has written on this is that uh, she believes that the NFL is moving towards more gap schemes as defenses are getting faster and they have more defensive backs on the field. So you essentially combat that speed with power. Um, I guess my question is, is is there a situation where he could land where you could still him, still see him being, you know, the most dynamic player that he can be where the, the uh, faults in his game, aren't
3: necessarily an issue. I think so. I'm not familiar enough with like the landscape of the league as far as like the schemes that they're running goes to come up with a a location. But I I think just kind of in a philosophical sense, looking at this through like a fantasy lens, Austin Eckler is not an efficient runner. I don't know what kind of concepts they're running there in LA, but like he's not an efficient runner really at all. Christian McCaffrey has often not been a very efficient runner. Alvin Kamara has had elite RB one seasons where he's averaging less than four yards per carry Gibbs is a little bit different than each of those guys. But I think the appeal is that he's like this elite receiving back who you can split out and he can kill a linebacker over the middle and like defensive backs are going to have to cover him. And that makes his job as a runner easier if he's putting that on the field. And so even if he's, a four out of 10 for the sake of, you know, for the sake of discussion as a runner in the NFL, if he's a 10 out of 10 as a receiver at running back, he, a team's going to use him and he could be an elite fantasy asset anyway.
2: No, I do want to, you- I want to ask you real quick, philosophically. I don't know if you've, I don't remember seeing you talk about this or, or hearing you talk about this. I kind of like to lean towards, the Jameer Gibbs of the world just because they kind of give you that safety net to fall back on with their receiving. Do you think that's the right way to approach a player with kind of his profile? Or do you think that the, the red flags make you want to opt for? And again, I don't have your, your charting in front of me, but like Zach Charbonnet or Zach Evans, or, you know, one of these 215 plus pound backs that profile more as a traditional, uh, a bell cow kind of running back in the NFL.
3: Yeah, I think, I think in general, I would default to like a Zach Charbonnet type, but because I don't know, think about how many like Tyler Goodsons, Tyler Beatty's. I don't know, there's, there's just these like James Williams from uh, Washington state a couple of years ago, these guys who you know, to, to different degrees are, like, really good receivers, at least in college. And you would think that skill set translates to at least something like a third down role. And those guys often just don't materialize at all. And I think Gibbs is clearly better than all of those guys. And so I, I guess my point is just, like, it has to be the right guy. And I think Gibbs is the right guy because he's more special than them and because this is kind of cheating and doing your own evaluation. But, like, everybody – from like the sca- like the serious scouting community seems like they're on board with this guy. And he just finished up his last season at Alabama. Like he's got the, the kind of like ins, you know, you know what I mean? Like he, he proved it at, you know, the, the top program in the country, the NFL is going to be in on him more than they would have maybe if he just stayed at Georgia tech. So I think he's the right guy to bet on of the guys that, you know, typically aren't great bets.
1: I think in Dynasty, Jameer Gibbs is you know widely considered to be the RB two in this class. He has been for a while, and I've seen him go in non superflex as high as um, pick two, and, and probably in superflex around pick four. Or so, are you on board with him being a top five Dynasty
3: rookie pick, regardless of format? I think so. I. I... I was thinking about this when you said that I hate him with like the strength of a thousand sons or something like that, but he's going to end up being in my top four running backs in this class. I don't know in what order that top four will be, but yeah, I- I'd be fine with him at the one Oh two to the one Oh five. Probably.
1: Uh, you heard it here. Noah Hills noted Jameer Gibbs hater. You can find him on Twitter and YouTube uh, at Noah More Parties, and sign up for, at least for the Google form right now. Uh, it's the pinned tweet at uh, on his Twitter page. Noah, thank you, thank you for joining us and talking to us about Gibbs. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Noah. Right. Noah is great. Noah is is one of my favorite writers and one of my favorite analysts on Twitter. I think uh, if you you know if you enjoy. Um, uh, what he just gave to us. Go ahead and follow him on Twitter and drop us a like. Drop us a like on video. Um, Ox, do you want to take us through housekeeping?
4: Uh, <clears throat> sure. So, sorry, sorry, I wasn't quite ready. <laughs> I wasn't ready. I didn't know we were going there. Um, I didn't have a sushi in front of me, so that's probably on me. Uh, housekeeping. We have a YouTube. If you are watching us on YouTube, make sure that you are liking and subscribing to the Campus Canton channel. You have we have like an insane amount of content right now, especially around uh freshman season. So we just had early the uh early signing day, we're gonna have national signing day soon in February. It's going to be uh, like just a content bonanza from us from my freshman standpoint we also have a ton of content coming out throughout the week across different shows if you like what we're doing make sure that you're giving us rates and reviews whatever wherever you are currently listening to us if you were in a podcast form and if you are on YouTube make sure that you like us obviously but if you and are subscribe to the channel and subscribe and yeah, oh, obviously, aren't make sure you subscribe, subscribe to the channel make sure you subscribe too. make sure your friends like you could steal your friends phone I don't care what you do steal steal their phone we're not that, we're not advocating that are we lawyers, yes we lawyers, are that's no, yes not
2: no we don't we don't advocate that
4: we don't we don't advocate that if you're watching in a video format you know what i just did um, make sure that you're engaging with us during our live streams too we're happy to answer questions happy to engage in our, with our audience it's something that we pride ourselves of doing as a platform something that we want to get y'all involved in as well and make sure that you're checking out the interview that's coming or has dropped, I haven't checked it out yet, with Matt and Oregon quarterback, Austin Novsad. Has it dropped yet? I haven't listened to it. It hasn't. I haven't, haven't had that conversation with
0: me a bit soon. Near but it's future. coming. It's coming. In your future. After after the All-American Bowl game this weekend.
4: The flip, flip miss quarterback, Austin Novosad.
1: I mentioned that Cotton Bowl. Uh, Tulane at USC. Tulane over the last couple of years, has given teams fits. Uh, they almost beat Oklahoma in that opening game last year. Uh, the, uh, yeah, that was last year, Oklahoma, uh, Spencer Spencer Rattler. Um, and, uh, you know, Michael Pratt has been somewhat of a gamer. If you look at his raw stats, they're not particularly impressive, especially in comparison to Caleb Williams. Um, but he did have some big-time throws on that final drive. He finishes – I don't know how this game got 46-45, to uh, 45, but he finishes 8 for 17, 234 yards, two touchdowns. He had 15 carries for 83 yards on the ground. Matt, I know that we talked about him in, 2000, in last year or 2020. as yeah, it was COVID someone, season. Someone, yes, yeah, someone to pay attention to. He started as a true freshman had terrible mechanics, was uh, in the backfield looking like a ballerina standing on his tippy toes with his legs together, something I've never seen before. However, if you just took all the college quarterbacks and put them you know, on the goal line and said, throw the football, he would have one of the strongest arms uh, in the country. Matt, I guess since we talked about this, I'll throw it to you first. Is there any chance that we could see him become an NFL player. I'm not comparing him to Josh Allen, but Josh Allen was a player in college who didn't have a great completion percentage but had some of the raw tools that Pratt does. And I'll give this to Pratt. He has improved on his mechanics. Could you see him
0: becoming an NFL player in the future? I do because I think everything is there especially for the modern day quarterback as you mentioned we we talked a lot about it in that his rookie season which was the covid rookie freshman season which was covid year as well he had the arm talent, I believe. Like within consecutive days, uh, you posted something about his arm strength, and I did. And I know that yours was like a. Was, I'm almost positive it was like a hash to hash throw. Like he fired an absolute missile to the other side of the field. And you were talking about that, and I had just written something about him as well. And that's how we first started talking about him. And, and I wanted. He I do was think- on
1: the left. He was on the left hash, and yeah. he threw a comeback to the right sideline, and all hit wide receivers' hands on the sideline, low trajectory maximum velocity it's a very difficult throw and uh yeah so
0: so i mean we we know that the arm strength is there you mentioned he has improved a little bit on his mechanics and i'll touch on that in just a second But he also has mobility he is a a good rushing quarterback he also buys time we we talked a lot about it earlier reps matter talked about it with those covid quarterbacks he was injured a lot of last year, he missed multiple games. And if you were to look at what he did last year, it wouldn't be super impressive. But I think you have to, to, to put that in there. He dealt with the shoulder injury most of the year and missed most of those games. Then he comes back this year, and you looked at that too. De- dealing with the shoulder injury almost all of last season, what did Tulane do? They were like 2-10. and 10. They are a horrible team. He comes back this year fully healthy. Felix mentioned he's improved a little bit on his mechanics. All of a sudden, they just made it to a top-tier bowl game and beat USC, and it's all on Michael Pratt's arm realistically and why I think that he's even being valued higher is if you just go look through the rumors and, and everything that's been talked about when Willie Fritz was possibly leaving Tulane to go to Georgia tech, multiple high end P five schools contacted Michael Pratt and offered him NIL money to come to their schools. And he was going to go until Willie Fritz came back. And when Willie Fritz did not get the Georgia tech job, because he said he was not leaving because of the bowl game, he pulled his net. He, he immediately said, I'm staying at Tulane. I think that shows that these P five programs are very intrigued in his talent as well. If he gets another year, I don't know if he'll come out this year because this will be, or this will be his senior year going to this. Cause this was his third year. So I would imagine he comes out after a senior next season. He's not going in the NFL this year, obviously. I do think he's got a shot to make it into the NFL. I don't know if he's a starter. He's not getting first-round draft capital, but it would not surprise me if he's a day-two guy. I don't know if round two, that may be too high, but like, could he end up in that that same range as like a Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis? Why not? In my opinion, he's got better tools than both of them. And he's been more consistent. Like, One of the things I knocked on him for his freshman season was he was also not very consistent with accuracy, which may have been due to the mechanics. He's increased that every single year. This year, he was up over almost sixty three percent. Like he's gotten better every single year.
1: He he's also played clutch in some game. What is that? Is that conference USA? So in two thousand twenty, I think Tulsa was very very good that year. And yeah,
0: it was same as Cincinnati because they beat Cincinnati this year. Yeah, it's the it's the it's 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 the top
4: G five conference. Yeah, and the
0: the um anyway, Tulsa was very
1: good that year and. Like he had them up late, and
0: that's
1: the who's that who's that coll that was the year Zavin Collins from who's uh, with Arizona. Uh, he was playing really well for for Tulsa. Michael Pratt had them up with like two minutes left in the fourth quarter and a comeback win, and they kind of blew the game. But he has played well in some clutch spots. Uh, Mox, any thoughts on on Pratt as a potential NFL player?
4: I'm I'm not quite going. Uh, to the same extreme that that Matt is, but I, I do think that he certainly has um, the tools that would interest a lot of NFL teams. I personally, if I was a Power 5 school, would rather have him over Gar- Graham Mertz. So take that for what you will, Florida. Um, I think he's a better player than Graham Mertz is. He's just a gamer.
0: Well, and Florida was one of the teams rumored in on him, were they not? I'm they also, were also a lot scared.
4: of a yeah. lot. You were you're right. Like a lot of power five teams wanted Michael Pratt. He he has cachet. Uh he
1: he takes a lot of contact when he runs. I mentioned that final drive. So he so he finishes the game eight for 17, 232 yards, two touchdowns, 83 rushing yards. That final drive, he was four for six, 58 yards, a touchdown. Uh, and then the uh rushing conversion on on four on fourth down. Um also had the two-point conversion. There was the throw along the right. Uh, seam that reminded me very much of a throw that Matthew Stafford had against the uh, the the Cowboys, uh, a game where I think calvin Johnson set a record for receiving yards and there's a, a throw in that comeback victory um right along the seam anyway where he just kind of fits it right in there um Austin has mentioned in the chat that he doesn't have anything to add on this player that means that he does not like the player. Nothing that intelligent, not at least. Like so, no, no, he does not like the player. I, that's, haven't, watched uh, that's... I haven't watched
2: him. I haven't watched him. I, I, have no comment. I, I didn't get to watch like half of that game. So I, so I, I have nothing intelligent to add here. I'm sorry. I can all say right. something stupid. Um... <laughs>
1: okay, we'll save you. Um, all right. Uh, there, there's a lot. Man, football season just keeps rolling around. It is just it's January and we still got stuff to talk about. One of those things being the All American Bowl last year, which is uh the 2023 freshman class. So, you know, uh, uh Dante Moore, Justice Haynes, Ruben Owens, Malachi Coleman, Austin Novosad, all of these guys, Carnell Tate headed to to Ohio State. Um Matt, I don't know how to tee up this conversation, but anything I know we've seen some one of the at least one of the highlights from the wide receiver going to USC. Yeah. But anything that you want to mention about or takeaways from uh, from this game?
0: Yeah. yeah, that was from the Under Armour game, which happened was that yesterday. I think it was Zachariah Branch oh. with the with the with the punt return. This the the All American oh, Bowl getting... is on Saturday, okay, which I'm is which has confused. got. Yeah, it, they happen fairly quickly, as, as you mentioned. The Under Armour, they so they split these players up. Uh, the Under Armour one had a lot of the other top guys. That's an ESPN kind of sponsored bowl with Under Armour, so it's a lot of the top ESPN guys. This one seems to be more of like a 24-7 sports thing. I believe they're one of the main recruiting sites down there doing this stuff. It, it's with Adidas, but they do have a lot of the top names there. Felix just mentioned a ton of them. Dante Moore, Justice Haynes. Uh, you've got Austin Nova uh, Kenny Minchie, Pierce Carson, Lincoln Conholds on the other side, um, Aiden Childs. For me, it's just going to be a very intriguing game to watch. This game last year, we saw Cade Clubnik have a really good game. It really started driving some of the hype train for him. He went out there, played really well, he actually played better than Drew Alar, if I'm remembering correctly. Like Alar looked good, but Cade Clubnik really looked a lot better.
4: Alar looks like crap. It yeah yeah, he did I was trying
0: to be like Austin and be He's nice and I you know, I was just trying to He didn't look good. my bad yeah. he did not look great at all. but. Uh, that is, for me, what it is. Now, what I do like about it is, obviously, with On3 and 24-7 Sports, they're covering it a lot more this year. You see a lot more of the practice stuff all over Twitter if you want to see that. But the game will be on NBC on Saturday. It's just a way to look at these guys going up against the best of the best. I mean, we named the offensive guys because we typically look at this from the fantasy lens. All of the top defensive guys are, I mean, uh, Keeley's there. I believe Caleb Downs is there on the on the east side for the defense. They have some of the best defenses. It's just a chance to see the best guys coming in as freshmen against on the offense and defense. I mean, guys that I personally am watching. Um, obviously, Austin Novosad, I've been a big fan of his. He's apparently been one of the best quarterbacks the past three days that he's been down. there has been like him and Dante Moore, which I think is just huge praise hyped on Austin Novosad because Dante Moore is the better prospect. So to be considered playing as good as him in these scenarios, I think is a really good thing. Also on the opposite side of that, Pierce Clarkson, who is a quarterback that I like. He has been talked about being really bad through all these practices, and I think that matters. That's stuff that we have to watch. But it's just that. I want to see these guys play against each other and who kind of stands out in these games um, and has a chance to kind of make a bigger name for themselves on Saturday going against their peers.
1: Uh, Pierce Clarston, who is headed to Louisville, I'm here in the Louisville area. He and his family purchased billboards around the city that I saw driving into work. Uh, saying something regarding I'm coming home uh, right there at the, the the new soccer stadium, big digital billboard. They had one, but they had them all over. Um, Austin, do you want to add anything about, I mean, you and Matt are uh, out of us four are really dialed into the freshman class already. Any um, takeaways or points that you want to add about either of these two freshman bowl games?
2: Yeah, just two names that have kind of stood out, it seems like, based on a lot of re- the reports that I've been reading from this game, the All-American game, not the Under Armour one. Um, I think Zachariah Branch was was the runaway guy there, the the presumptive number one wide receiver in the class uh, headed to USC. Uh, Pierce Sperlin, a tight end heading to Georgia, has been like the name. I've heard just nonstop chatter about him this week. He's apparently up over 240 pounds, which is pretty great to see uh, – Georgia, we know, is going to use the tight end there. I think he's a really good player. He, I personally have bumped him up after this week to my tight end three. Uh, and then the other one, I guess, I and mean, they've talked about him once or twice on the uh, the official, our, our recruiting show here at C2C, but I think it's time to finally let the cat out of the bag. Other places here, Cordell Russell apparently had a really good week. He is a wide receiver that is headed to TCU. He was really underwhelming uh, his first couple years in high school, and then he had a glow, an athlete athletic low up. He is one of the fastest wide receivers. We have clocked at this point. He has um, a, a basket, big basketball background and he has some crazy basketball highlights. Like the dude's just athletic, like the, the, the vert, the burst, the, all, all these kinds of physical gifts. He, he's apparently looked really good playing wide receiver this week too. So I think, I think he's a guy that can go to TCU. They lose a lot of talent there, wide receiver, uh, and maybe make uh, a name for himself there a little bit as a freshman. So I think th- we'll let that name out of the bag here. And then, um, Yeah, I think those are the two names that have kind of just been the biggest so far this week.
0: And I mean, just just to get Felix a little bit excited here about Cordell Russell, because I know he likes his big wide receivers. 6'2", 200, and we actually have him clocked, I believe, as the fastest player overall in this class at 22.7 miles an
2: hour. 22.7. He doesn't look that fast, and then I saw a clip of him in one-on-one work in this game, and he just totally roasted the corner right off the line, and he doesn't look like he's running at all, and it's one of those where he's just... Gaining, yeah. gaining, 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 gaining ground between the two. And you're like, oh, he is moving really, really fast. He just is not putting in that much effort. So and, an interesting guy for sure.
0: And to continue to add on that, it's not like he's playing bad competition in high school either. He's playing in Mesquite, Texas, in, in 6A football. So he's playing top-tier competition. So,
1: yeah. Top player. Uh, BC, Brandon Carr, my teammate at Grand Valley, um, he would have explained that's why he ended up playing Division two is – you know, he grew like three or four inches his senior year, somehow, you know, got this body uh, and became more athletic right before going to college. And then he started as a tree, started all four years uh, at, at Grand Valley before being a third round or fifth round draft pick for Herm Edwards and the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but it can uh, it can definitely happen. Um, all right. There's one more topic and there was some controversy about whether or not this should be included. And Mox pounded the table like Kyle Shanahan for Joe Williams and said, we are going to – that's a reference right there for you, Joe Williams out of Utah, uh, and said, we are going to (laughs) – where is Joe Williams now? Where is Joe Williams?
2: I don't know. Where is Joe Williams?
1: He pounded the table. Uh, Mox,
4: what's going on at LSU, man? so no one knows officially be delicate be delicate what what's going on at lSU However, there are rumors and the rumors tend to suggest um, a lot is going on with a handful of people at the same time. <laughs> It's um, the vaguest description. that's the vaguest description. That's all the, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, all that's all the lawyers would sign off on. Yeah, it's all the lawyers would say. Um, <laughs> how, how? Wait. How? How much can I go into this? Uh, do I have, do I have free reign? I mean, I mean, Austin
0: looks like a a, awesome. a blood vessel is about to burst right now. So. I'll, okay, I'll just he say. Be delicate. Well,
4: the the people want to know, and I got to yeah. d- report for the people. You you can talk what you can talk about the
1: implications of the rumors. How about that?
4: We don't have to can I with say what the rumors are. are? Yeah, say it. Let's I mean, we can it. say okay, allegedly, so, right? Allel- then we're covered. Alleg- whatever, yeah. right? Alleg- Alleg- allegedly, yeah. allegedly sure at the SEC a championship the game, yeah. a lot of quotation uh, marks. Yeah, allegedly at the SEC championship game, there was an LSU orgy that happened between <laughs> uh, oh, Keishon Butte. Oh. And a handful of other football staffers, including one woman. That is what is alleged. Now, this is also alleged why Keisha Boutte left the team. We're cutting it.
1: We're cutting it. <laughs> there,
4: there are a lot of rumors about what this means for uh, people that are employed to be LSUs. I, I believe there were you know, a handful of prominent LSU uh, football operations folks who were allegedly involved in this as well. Uh, One has already resigned. Whether it's related to this is a different question because it's all alleged, of course. Um, But it does beg the question of what this means for uh, people who are employed by the university and ethically versus... um, reality? Can you keep these people employed? I think that's been the big discussion on Twitter this week about this alleged incident that may have happened in Atlanta.
1: I think a bigger deal is being made of this than what should be made. I mean, I think that things like this, if they happen consensually on college campuses, that happen consensually and uh, considering if everyone are adults. Now, do I, if I am the if I'm the football coach or the, the athletic coordinator, do I want something like this happening at the SEC championship game? No, do it in June before we get to football camp. do will do it at the SEC championship game in Atlanta. Uh, that's kind of my big issue with it. So, um, all right. Let's let's all turn it over to Austin.
2: Austin, your thoughts.
0: <laughs>
2: oh boy, um, I actually do think there should be a, a coach should have a problem with this. Felix, you don't think it's inappropriate for the staffers to be involved in like a? I mean, like, yeah, you know, yeah, like, it's, it's Austin awesome. what, what orgy whatever you, you, you want to call this. And it, what if, I'm saying is, is I clear don't that have it was a problem only them? with them. Like, were there outside people involved too? Like, that's the other thing that I like. They're calling it a sex party. Does that mean it was just them? Does that mean there were like they went to like a? swingers club in downtown. Atlanta I'm assuming whatever,
4: there's like. others involved that are not related to the football staff, but that is what this I is all, this is all assumed, allegedly. you know, no, just.
1: I guess my point was, is I don't have a problem with the act itself. Um, I had a, an issue with the, like the professionalism aspect uh, uh, of it. So um, just like I would, you know, in, in some context, it's inappropriate for, Superiors to have relationships with subordinates, uh, so that's kind of that's kind of my issue. So, uh, and the timing—it's the SEC championship game. Um, let's get this ring, and you can do it after. We got how many weeks do we have until the bowl game? So, uh, all right, uh, are we ready for parting shots? Yeah, I think so. Mox. Wait, who's starting us off? Um, Matt, my bad. Matt, Matt, start us off.
0: When NIL entered the college space last year, many were uncertain of the impact it would have on players, teams, and the college space, especially when, to be started off, a big name at the time, Quinn Ewers reclassified to make sure he got that million-dollar bag from kombucha. However, after that, it seemed to fizzle out. Soon, we were only talking about some simple deals on some high-end players getting money here or there and some of the players getting to drive a new car every other week. In fact, NIL practically became a non-factor and more a mere discussion point for talking heads to say what is becoming wrong with the game. When that didn't work, NIL became the boogeyman for teams who needed to find a nondescript reason on why they could not land said player in the transfer portal or in a recruiting class. The big, Bad Bagman was the reason Jordan Addison left Pitt to go play with Lincoln Riley. It likely had nothing to do with his high flying offense, his ability to put wide receivers into the NFL, and playing with arguably at the time, the best college quarterback. The big, Bad Bagman lended all these top recruits to the top teams in the 2023 recruiting class, right? No. In fact, as many of them anonymously went on record for the first time in discussing NIL in a private matter, 95% of these players said it was third at best in the decision on where they had wanted to play. These recruits in the All-American Bowl, we discussed earlier in the show, are some of the best players in the country, yet they all valued education, playing time, and development above any kind of money. While yes, some of them did say that money came first or even second, it was still in the minority. Many of these players openly were offered more money to leave a better fit or a school that they had a better relationship with for money, and their answer was a resounding no. Now, I know the flip side of this coin is going to be the Miami and the Texas ATM discussion, who allegedly have, allegedly have purchased their entire recruiting classes. And while that is fine, nothing is perfect. It has really kind of been the silent minority of college football after choosing to forgo millions of dollars to try and live out their dream and playing at a school they love or for a coach they respect or just a chance to make it to the NFL? Well, yes, most of these players who turn down millions will still make money and hopefully decent money as they've sacrificed their time, their bodies, and their minds to be where they are. I would be willing to bet 99% of the people who listen to this would take that chance as well to make a good little bit of money on the side even if it meant that they had to give up something to live out their dreams. So maybe NIL isn't the boogeyman we all tried to make it out to be. It's just a small thing to afford some comfort to players who, again, have sacrificed everything to live their dreams and provide us with something we do not want to live without,
4: and that is college football. Rules for thee and not for me. Matt Bruden just hit on some great points, but now let's talk. Nearly every coach in the portal era has a vocal opinion about NIL tampering and what's going on. Matt Brown spoke about this in teams recruiting Drake May while adding two NIL darlings in Devontae Walker and Nate McCollum, both who were valued over six figures according to On3. Even Jake Dickert's quote from early December sticks out. There's more tampering going on than you could ever imagine. We've had guys contact our players' parents. We had a coach from another school contact one of our players and offer him NIL. This is the same Jake Dicker, Washington State head coach, who added the entire offense from from Incarnate Ward in the offseason via the portal, giving Cameron Ward a luxury apartment in Pullman, a new pickup truck from a boost-your-own-car dealership, and a straight-up amount of $50,000. This all happens while coaches not only have the freedom of movement, but freedom from criticism. Luke Fickle went to Wisconsin, is a small example, but look at Bobby Petrina, who committed to UNLV as an offensive coordinator a month ago and is now at Texas A&M. And we can laugh about Petrina, but we can't laugh about the impact that it has and how he is representative of coaches not receiving the same amount of criticism. This doesn't even begin to include the salary issues at hand. Coaches make millions while ridiculing the amount of money brought in for players via NIL. Nick Saban is guilty of this, Dabo Sweeney is guilty of this, and they're simply the tip of the iceberg it's important to acknowledge a few things. First, players clearly don't have a union and are signing these individual contracts themselves. They're leveraging their value for the first time ever, and coaches have an issue with it. The point in all this, and why I'm making a big deal about it today, make sure you keep the same energy about player movement and NIL deals when it comes to coaches flipping programs for even higher sums of money.
1: We got a wake-up call this week um, in what happened with DeMar Hamlin in the Monday night game. And if you followed my work for any amount of time, you know that I like to dive into the human stories of some of these players, whether it's, you know, Troy O'Meary and uh, him having to uh, go home during the pandemic and with his mother was an ER nurse and treated uh, uh, patients showing COVID symptoms. I think that there is, an aspect that I enjoy about athletes where we get to see them chasing their dreams in real time, especially in our space, in the campus to Canton, in the Debbie space, because we follow these players from the time they're in high school uh, all the way until they're drafted in their NFL careers. And so we get to go on this roller coaster ride with them, whether they have to transfer to fight up a depth chart or if they have an injury. You get to see that in real time. And I think it's important to note that these are human beings doing everything that they can uh, to chase their dream. And in the case of DeMar Hamlin, a third-round draft pick, making an impact for a Super Bowl contending team. From Pittsburgh, a Yinzer played youth football there. Somebody that had come across Mike Tomlin's. Uh, Radar. When he was young, his mother runs a daycare. It's something my mom did as I was a kid. Started before, before he got to the NFL, started raising money for a Christmas toy drive, a back to school supply drive while he was still in college. Someone who's trying to give back to his community. I am hoping for a complete recovery for DeMar Hamlin. But the effect of what happened on Monday was that for a moment in a space where we only look at athletes as numbers and how many points they can score on our fantasy teams, we got to see this person's humanity uh, at a deeper level. And so I just want to take a few moments to say that I'm inspired by, who, by what I've learned of DeMar Hamlin. And I'm a, I'm um, appreciative of that opportunity to learn who this man is and uh, who he is to his community, who he is to his family. And I'm appreciative that we get to go on this roller coaster ride with him. And I'm praying for a successful outcome
2: here for him. I say a lot of things into a microphone. I'm too lazy and or busy to calculate the exact amount of time that I spent podcasting or producing video content throughout this previous calendar year, but it's well into the hundreds of hours. I do knew that for sure. So when I think back to all the things that I predicted and prognosticated for 2022, it should say a lot. There's one in particular that stands out in my mind. I'd like to address it here tonight so I can start 2023 with truly, truly, a clean slate. Okay. <clears throat> Here it goes. I was right about Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Although I don't have the direct quote in front of me, and again, I'm too lazy and are busy to check. I know that the gist of my comment was that Michigan would ultimately regret making the college football playoff last season with a weak squad. My reasoning was as follows. Number one, the quarterback situation was quite frankly unsettled. Number two, Harbaugh had not recruited very well. And number three, many of the important pieces on that Michigan team were headed to the NFL. And it all came to a head at the end of 2022. Sure, Caleb McNamara was not a perfect quarterback by any stretch, but I have a hard time believing that he'd have thrown two, count them, two pick sixes in the national semifinal as a a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. McNamara wasn't sexy, but he was safe. And really, Harbaugh has not recruited great from a ranking standpoint, instead targeting players who fit, the quote-unquote culture, whatever that means. Harbaugh's entire goal has been to beat Ohio State it, for petty bragging rights. How's that worked out for them? Sure. Michigan has won the last two matchups. They also have zero playoff wins to show for it, and they don't look any closer to achieving national success than they did before his tenure began. Meanwhile, the rival Buckeyes have created a recruiting juggernaut and looked the better team on New Year's Eve, pushing Georgia to the brink, the same Georgia team, mind you, that pounded Michigan last year. Yes, Michigan did lose a lot to the NFL last year, but schools like Michigan should have talent waiting in the wings. When Alabama lost Tua to the draft, they just rolled out another first-round quarterback prospect. And you know what? Another one after that. Clemson has consistently maintained depth at key positions, although maybe held back by coaching. Same for powerhouse programs like Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Georgia. But not Michigan. A year after rumors that Harbaugh interviewed poorly we now have rep- uh, uh, new reports that the Broncos, amongst others, could be interested in Harbaugh again this offseason. I say let him walk. He's clearly not learned his lesson from the past and is a coach stuck in his old ways.
1: That's going to be our show for tonight. Apologies to Kirk Street; We ran out of time. We will get him rescheduled soon. For Matt Bruning, Austin Ace, and Chris Motzley. I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck.